We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Alexa, play Home and Home. That's all you got to do to listen to us on Radio.com. Welcome to hour number two of Home and Home Radio.com Sports Original. Dave Briggs in Connecticut, Ross Tucker in Pennsylvania. Home and Home brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com. lot to get to in this hour. We'll go to Charlotte to talk about the Cam Newton situation and to the New York Giants beat writer to talk, of course, about Eli Manning. And let's do that quickly, Ross. Eli Manning, the era is over. The New York Post with the front page, the fall of man. And they get the back page. You know it's a big story. Dan's the man. Thank you, Eli, was the hashtag on Twitter. Giants fans really wanted to say thank you to their quarterback. Real quick, is this the last we see of him? Is there any chance another team is interested in Eli Manning's services, Ross? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to see Eli Manning play football again. I mean, it's certainly possible, but he has a no no trade clause. He doesn't appear willing to waive that. You know, they he and his wife, they've made New Jersey their home. They've got several small children. This is where they like to be. This is where they're going to be. And I just don't think he wants to go elsewhere for the sake of playing. I think he likes the fact that he's played his whole career with the Giants. I don't think he wants to change that. He's obviously made more money than any active player, $255 million, I believe. And I I don't think he feels a need to go elsewhere. The, the, The weird part, though, is He's never said anything about retiring either. So, no. you know, what, what's he going to do? Play, be the Giants' backup next year for $3 million? I mean, at some point, he's going to have to make some decision. Boy, wouldn't that be a strange turn of events? If Eli Manning is open to being a long-term backup, I can't imagine, given all that money, that isn't the case. And certainly, uh, that would just be awful to watch. We debated in the first hour, is he or is he not a Hall of Famer? If you're just joining us in hour number two, go on demand, listen to the first hour. I am right. Ross is wrong. He is clearly a Hall of Famer. Let's get Mike Francesa's reaction to Danny Dimes out of Duke getting the start in week three now. It was a move they had to make because, listen, this season, which is nothing short of a complete indictment of the general manager and the head coach, they have put together a terrible team. Had to become a developmental. Had to become a developmental season immediately. They had to change the theme of this season immediately, and make it about developing the quarterback. Now, just to show you how badly this team is run, go back to last winter when I screamed for months: Do not bring two quarterbacks in here. Either draft a quarterback or put it all behind Eli and draft him help one or the other, take a run or develop your court or get your quarterback and play him immediately. Do not 
take your assets and waste them. And what did he do? He did exactly the wrong thing. Now he has his rookie quarterback who will be a rookie quarterback, folks. If you think he's going to be a savior, you're out of your mind. And that is not an indictment of him. Good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I've watched them break in for 40 years. They all are terrible in their first year. Troy Aikman got benched. He didn't win a game. He's in the Hall of Fame. I can go down the list. Eli, his first year, won one game. Peyton Manning won three. Great quarterbacks are bad in their first year. So quarterbacks just have to show you a glimmer of talent that they're the real thing. They are not saviors. So if you think this team is going to be transformed by Daniel Jones, you're clueless. Which, again, begs that question that the Giants make this pick because they think this season is salvageable or because they think it's over. I believe they thought it was over. They never picked a lane. They showed no leadership. They showed awful decision-making in the front office. Not sure if this was Pat Shermer. Not sure if this is the ownership. Gettleman, who was it? Doesn't matter. It was the worst handoff, the worst decision-making, the worst spending of 20-plus million dollars we've seen in recent uh, years. Bravo. They managed to unite us, Ross. I thought... Eli should have been the starter four, five, six weeks, as long as he could get it done. You thought Danny Dimes should start right away. They managed to unite everybody in agreeing that they handled this like crap. Well, there just doesn't appear to be any coherent long-term plan. I can't stand that. That really bothers me. You have to think about the contingencies ahead of time. And under no circumstance, Dave, should benching Eli Manning have been the solution after two games. If, if, if there was a chance that you would bench Eli Manning after two games, you shouldn't have brought him back this year at all. And if you brought him back, you should have given him at least a decent sample size. I don't know if that's four games or six games or what, to show what he could do. They did neither that's what bothers me because you need to go into it having an idea. And I always wonder in these situations too, Dave, how much ownership involvement there is. What is the decision-making structure and power? You know, for example, maybe the owner and the GM want Eli Manning to still be in there, but the head coach is saying, no, I'm going with Daniel Jones. I don't know that. Maybe they wanted to give Eli the chance to start the year and see if maybe he could play really well and they could win some games. And after two, they're like, well, that's not going to happen. I don't know, but it's weird that they apparently thought that they had a chance to have a good team this year and that that's why they started Eli. And now after two games, they're throwing in the towel. And you could ask an honest question, which is a bigger mess, Giants or Jets? Jets now on their third-string quarterback. We know you had Mono knock out Sam Darnold for several weeks. Trevor Simeon gets in there. Ankle injury, he's out for the season. And now Luke Falk, their third-starting quarterback in three weeks, gets his first start against Bill Belichick and arguably the best defense he's ever had. The one thing the Jets do have going for them is they have a pretty decent 
defense. Maybe not spectacular, but a heck of a lot what we're better than what we're seeing with the New York Giants. Although you can't help but wonder, like a lot of these teams that start going south, will guys begin to want out of the situation with the Jets? Not clear yet, but one of their best defensive players, safety Jamal Adams, certainly sounds like a guy who's not entirely happy after he was benched late in the Monday night loss to the Cleveland Browns for a bad read he made in the secondary. Listen to what Jamal Adams had to say about that situation. There's been a lot made about the fact that you took the Jets out of your Twitter and Instagram bio. Should we be reading anything into that? Again, I'm, I'm just I'm focused on this team. Um, I, I'm not focused on anything other outside noise. I'm just focused on uh, how we can get better and, 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 and grab a win. No. But we've seen athletes before kind of send messages in that way using their social media, whether it's unfollowing a team or whether it's taking the team out of their bio. Are you trying to, to send a message to the team by doing that? It's, so, it's, it's social media uh, at the end of the day. It's, it's outside noise. Um, like I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on this team and, and how we can get better. Back-to-back penalties in last night's game, and then we didn't see you again. Were you benched last night? Yeah, I was benched. Uh, they they benched me. Uh, I try to uh, anticipate a play, uh, which I anticipated wrong, and I was benched. Um, and you know, hey, it happens. Um, you know, I just I, I got to continue to do um, my job to the best of my ability. Um, as well as, you know, help lead the guys around me. All right, that's Jamal Adams on WFAN with Maggie Gray and Bart Scott. This is how you do it, Ross. You unfollow your team on IG. You take the Jets out of your bio. And we all read into it. He clearly was not happy about being benched in the late in the game. Is it okay to bench a player of his caliber? And does he want out from what you're hearing there? Uh, so first of all, th- this is so 2019, isn't it? Like the whole Instagram yeah. unfollow, remove it from his bio. Uh, I guess that's just what guys do when they're emotional or frustrated. It is kind of funny though to read the tea leaves. You know, it, Dave, before we started this show and before we did the press release that we were doing this show, I followed. RDC sports at radio.com sports. I followed you like people could have read the tea leaves like, okay, he left Sirius XM. He's got some new gig coming. Like I'm surprised people didn't notice that or realize that, you know, you can kind of read the tea leaves because people do go ahead and unfollow or follow social media accounts based on what's going on in their lives. Clearly, he was upset about the way the season has started and about the fact that he was benched. I'm not surprised Greg Williams did it. I think he was sending a message. Coaches don't really like when you freelance. And Jamal said that he anticipated wrong. That's called guessing. (laughs) Anticipating wrong is called guessing. And Greg Williams did not like that he's out there guessing, going rogue, trying to do his own thing. I love Jamal Adams as a player. I think he and Greg Williams get along great. The defense had a really good night 
really with the exception of the 89-year-old catch and run by Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, but I think they'll be fine. And in terms of the frustration with the season, and what are you going to do, dude? They've had a lot of injuries already. It's only two weeks. You had the quarterback get mono. The backup quarterback is hurt. That's why I think it's a very different situation than the New York Giants. I mean, the Giants, this is all kind of their own doing, whereas the Jets, I mean, you can't anticipate Mosley and Quinn and Williams both being out by the second game, or you can't anticipate your quarterback getting mono, which we know just changes a lot. So now I'm forced to look at two of the biggest states in the country, most populous, and two teams that each have three NFL teams. And I can't help but wonder which state is a bigger mess, New York or Florida? You look at New York, and they have the Jets on their third quarterback, the Giants on their second quarterback, and the stability, believe it or not, up there in Buffalo with Josh Allen. Then you go down to Florida. You got the stability, if you want to call it that, of Jameis Winston. He's the face of stability for the quarterback position of the state of Florida with the Bucks, And then the Dolphins, the dumpster fire Dolphins, have played both quarterbacks. And it's not clear who is going to be starting by week three, week four. Josh Rosen, Ryan Fitzpatrick, not entirely clear. It is just a hot mess. Jacksonville has Gardner Minshew now, who is an exciting and interesting player. But Nick Foles uh, out with the collarbone injury. Pick a state, New York or Florida, who has a bigger mess on their hands with their NFL teams? Man, that's a good one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Florida. I'm going to say Florida because at least the Jets and the Giants seem to have their young quarterbacks of the future, as do the Buffalo Bills. That's by far the most important position, most important aspect of a franchise. Look at Florida. We're not yeah. sure the Bucks, Jameis Winston, he probably isn't the quarterback for the next 10 years. The Dolphins definitely don't have that guy. They're hoping that the guy they draft next April becomes that guy. And the Jags don't have that guy. I mean, they're putting their faith in Minshew mania right now. And maybe he ends up becoming the guy, but they don't know that for sure now that Foles is hurt. So I'll take the state of New York and where they're at right now over the state of Florida for sure. It's amazing that I'm going to have to agree with you there. I mean, just just look at that mess down there in Miami. Though they do have five first-round picks the Dolphins do over the next two years. And Nick Foles is a great quarterback. Looked like he was going to give them some direction. But when you have two young guys look like they're going to be the answer a quarterback. And Josh Allen. I'm a fan of Josh Allen. He had a little more accurate passing-wise, but he is an exciting young player, certainly on the up, the youngster out of Wyoming. That leaves you, Florida, in a world of hurt, man. The worst NFL state. It's got to be the worst NFL state in the country, given you have three teams, all of which have absolutely no answer. I think it's the worst, Dave, from a fan standpoint, too. I mean, in terms of attendance, in terms of, I mean, it, and which is weird because it's such a big state for high school football and college football that for it to be this way in the NFL is kind of surprising. But 
in fairness, those teams haven't given those people a right to be excited other than, I guess, the Jags a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's, it's hard, though, when you look at it. I mean, look at college football, right? I mean, we grew up with the state of Florida being really the capital of college football, certainly not as Alabama and Clemson and maybe Oklahoma and Ohio State and Michigan, but the state of Florida was it, man. We grew up Florida, Florida State, Miami. How awesome those years were. How great the 80s were. And yes, uh, you know, Florida's fine. Miami's fine. Florida State is an absolute dumpster fire. They don't know what they're going to do with the $17 million buyout for Willie Taggart. You got a kid having a lemonade stand to raise money down there in the state of Florida for his $17 million that. buyout. You are I love effed. that. I mean, I hope high school football is going well in the state of Florida because college and pro, sorry, hope we didn't lose any viewers in the state of Florida. It is rough going. We sympathize. We want Florida back. Football is hard. So, too, is hiring. Can be a real challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. That is super fast. Results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. This exclusive web address, write it down. Leave yourself a voice memo at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-I. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Perhaps the Carolina Panthers can use ZipRecruiter to find themselves a quarterback, although they say publicly they like the kid Kyle Allen not sure what's going on with Cam Newton, so let's ask the source. Kyle Bailey from WFNZ in Charlotte. Kyle, good to see you, my friend. What is the deal with Cam? Well, that's a great question. That might require a lengthy answer, but uh, to, to keep it short here, um, Cam's been dealing, as you know, with some shoulder stuff on and off for the past two years. Uh, the mild foot sprain that he suffered against New England in week three of the preseason certainly didn't help, and it appeared on a play against Tampa Bay on Thursday night that he aggravated it. That's what uh, GM Marty Herney told us yesterday. Uh, Cam was not at practice. That was the first of a series of, of headlines that came out that you know started to ramp up the news cycle here in Charlotte yesterday, and it went from Cam's not practicing to Cam's been rehabbing for the last five days to his status is uncertain against Arizona on Sunday to – uh, now everybody's wondering when Cam Newton's going to play again, if it's going to be a couple of weeks or a couple of months or this year at all. It's it, Everything's up in the air right now. Kyle, do we know what the foot injury even is? Have they even said that, or is it just an unknown foot injury? You know, Russ, when, when that happened against New England, it was a non-contact injury. And the next day, Dr. David Chow came on with us here in Charlotte and told me, look, you know, when I saw it at the time, it didn't seem that serious. He said if it had been a regular season game, he would have gone right back in, in his opinion. And he said at the time, look, I have no reason to believe that Cam won't be fine for week one. 
the organization echoed the same thing in the next couple of days. And Cam was, you know, obviously ready to go for uh, the L.A. Rams. But it was characterized then as a mild foot sprain. And so to say he re-aggravated it, I can only assume it's the same thing, that they're, they're still calling it a foot sprain. All right, so there's the, the follow-up to that would be, did you notice anything wrong with his foot last Thursday night? I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I know he didn't play great, but I didn't notice him limping or anything. Well, it's a couple of things. Uh, that, that play that's been talked about, and oddly enough, if you, uh, you know, Cam's doing this new vlog series on YouTube. It's really well done. He's got his own production team. They very subtly included a clip of that play in the new vlog episode that was released last night. But um, that, that play before the one that's being talked about, he was seven of eight to start the game. After that, it got markedly worse, obviously, like really bad. Um, it, he's not running. You know, that's one of the big things, Ross, is that through two games, you're talking about five carries for negative two yards. There's been, to my, my memory, one design run play. And you go back to, you know, the fourth quarter on Thursday, fourth and inches from the Tampa Bay two, that's Cam Newton territory. That's automatic. I mean, Cam's run the quarterback sneak uh, more dominantly than anybody in the league, and there's not a close second. And instead, they go with Christian McCaffrey. There's nothing wrong with that. Christian's earned that trust. But the fact that the whole stadium's anticipating and expecting them to go to Cam in that situation with the game on the line, and they don't, you know, told us what we kind of already suspected. Um, you know, of course, with weight transference and, you know, being a plant foot, like, it's going to affect the way that he throws. And what's interesting, too, Ross and Dave, is that you look at the numbers, the way they break it down. Cam is, I think, 39% completions on passes to the right side of the field right now. Um, he's erratic. He's kind of all over the place. For every great throw, there's an equally terrible throw. So I guess the word here is inconsistent, and I have to believe the foot's played into that somehow. Talking with Kyle Bailey from WFNZ. Follow him on Twitter, Kyle Bailey, WFNZ. 34% uncatchable passes. That is a staggering number for any quarterback in the NFL. The mentality has always been a little bit surly from Cam Newton. So maybe it's hard to take much from the way he's been acting recently. Is this a guy having any fun playing the game in your estimation? Would you be shocked if he pulled an Andrew Luck? You know, it's very, it's a great question. And we talked about it yesterday because it's very easy to, you know, draw those sort of connections. And I think a lot of what's been said, and by me as well on my show, is being contextualized by that. Uh, you know, where there is some validity to it, Dave, is that Cam Newton has said a couple of the same things over the past week or so that we heard Andrew Luck say that night on the podium when he announced his retirement at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, most notably, Cam the other night said, look, I'm just tired of being hurt. And, you know, you can see it. There's, this, there's not the same joy. This is a guy who not only is fueled by emotion and fire and, you know, you see that passion on the field, it fuels his teammates as well. And, you know, he just hasn't looked like that guy out there on the field. And I have to believe it's taken a toll on him. And, and something else that's interesting here, too, it's a little bit unrelated, but it does speak to, I'm sure, his frustration right now. You know, I, I started looking around yesterday. I don't know how it hadn't occurred to me already. Uh, he's had a different left tackle in front of him every year since 2013. You know, from Jordan Gross to Byron Bell to Michael Orr to Mike Rimmers to Matt Khalil to Chris Clark and Daryl Williams. And Daryl Williams nearly got him carted off the field Thursday night giving up three sacks to Shaquille Barrett. So I think all of it plays into his frustration and the fact that he just doesn't look like the same dude out there on the field, having fun playing ball the way he always has. You know, Kyle, in my experience, usually when a guy finishes a game, he's able to play the next week. 
And, you know, even after that game on Thursday night, Ron Rivera said, no, the foot's fine. And now it appears like there's a decent chance he won't play this week. Is it fair to at least wonder or put the question out there as to whether or not Cam is bailing on this team at this point? Uh, it's a, I mean, I, I know you know, Ross. I mean, that's that's a heavy accusation, and I know you're not making it. I know some people have. Um, I, I honestly don't know, man. I, it's tough to say because, and I think you both you know understand this fully well, Cam Newton, um, although he had his best year as a passer last year in terms of completion percentage and doing things a little bit differently, Cam's never been a pure pocket passer. You know, as a dual-threat quarterback, the balance of him throwing the football and running the football is what has allowed him to be so effective and, and so downright electric at times. And without that part of his game, I think he also understands he's got some limitations. Now, I'm sure there's, you know, his pride still tells him that he can do things from the pocket that everybody else can do. But, you know, with, with the foot impacting the way that he throws as well, and I don't think the shoulder's a big deal. He did throw the ball 51 times on Thursday. So, you know, the shoulder can't be that bad right now. I don't think he's bailing. Um, you know, I've talked to so many of his former teammates who, you know, rave about his leadership in the locker room, guys who had a completely different opinion of him before they joined the Panthers organization. So this guy is a leader, and his teammates look up to him and love him. So uh, I have a hard time using that word, but I think mentally he's in a very different place. I want right, to talk about I, Kyle. Oop, ahead, I'm Dave. sorry, Ross. I didn't hear you there. Uh, I, I, I'd want to talk about the backups, Kyle Allen and, and Will Gurr, who you drafted in the third round, but I, I have to ask you. One word to describe what the hell he had on his head. Uh, the fashion last week was one of the most head-scratching moments in the NFL this season. The babushka. Um, <gasps> ah, babushka. I see in this frame right here, my head is far too large and unpleasant for one of those. Um, he can uh, he can pull it off, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh, it's become unfortunately a somewhat common refrain for a, a faction of this fan base now to say, well, if Cam cared as much about football as he did about fashion, he'd be fine, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, he's he's a young guy with a good sense of fashion. You see him pop up at the New York Met Gala or whatever else. I mean, what he wears outside the football field shouldn't really have an impact at all on what people think about him as a football player, but it's going to draw attention because most of us can't pull that off, right? Uh, no, and guess what? He can't pull it off either. Um, he looked like, what was that movie? Not, what, what was Thelma and Louise? He looked like he was about to drive off the cliff to me. Um, and, and by the way, not, not a great metaphor for him to be wearing that at, when he, before this happened. Dude, the guy played 51, oh, oh. Football 51 times. His foot looked fine to me. I, I, I just think that that's absolutely something to monitor, although we do know his physical toughness has never come into question. Before Dave asks you about the next men up, I'm curious about what the reaction has been from the people there in Charlotte after the news came out that Cam wasn't at practice. It appears he's got this foot deal. It appears he won't play in the game. What have people been saying? Are they all just disappointed? Is anybody calling him out? Anybody ready to move on from Cam at this point, Kyle? Oh, yeah, Ross. We, we've got to get you down here to do a little fill-in radio work soon so that you can experience it. Uh, <laughs> I just yesterday that, uh, you know, I, I don't care what anybody thinks about Cam Newton. I'll take covering Cam Newton all day, every day because of how interesting this guy is. And I'm not throwing any shade at a guy like Kirk Cousins, but I got to cover somebody for a living. Give me Cam Newton every single day of the week. 
Um, but he is the most polarizing athlete I've ever covered. And, you know, he has been uh, a, a lightning rod and a, a spark for some of the most heated debates I've ever seen in this city. So as you can imagine, our phone lines have been melting off the hook here at, uh, at WFNC. And, you, you know, there are people who are always going to support him no matter what. They're going to cape for him and, and stand for that guy. And, and I get it. But there are also those who you know, don't like his theatrics or don't like the babushka or, you know, whatever the case may be. Don't think that he's ever going to be anything as a pocket passer. And without his legs, he's useless. So the Panthers need to move on. I mean, you can only imagine the variety of calls and opinions and hot takes we've gotten, man. And I'm, I'm expecting just as many of those this afternoon. I bet you are. So let's talk about the next man up, as Ross put it. So Will Greer, you take in the third round the Panthers do. Does it say more about Greer's progression uh, in the preseason or Kyle Allen that this is a guy, your starter, got benched twice in college, got cut from the practice squad a year ago, and completed just over 50% of his passes in this preseason. Say more about Greer or Allen that he looks like your starter. really inspiring confidence in a lot of people here. He did go out and beat the Saints last year in Week 17, but that was a Saints team that was already in the playoffs. Their seeding was decided. Um, you know, most of their donors didn't play, and the ones that did played roughly 20 to 25 snaps, uh, to the best of my memory. So, you know, he didn't beat a team that was actively trying to win the game last year. Drew Brees didn't play. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater didn't have a great afternoon. So Kyle Allen is it, – he's never been short on talent. From his days at Texas A&M with Kyler Murray to Houston – uh, you know, to the NFL, he's always had arm talent. He was a five-star kid coming out of high school, but he's just never been able to put it all together. There was a point last year in training camp where offensive line coach uh, John Matsko kicked him out of a drill because he couldn't get the cadence right and replaced him with an equipment manager. Um, and he spent most of the year on the practice squad. So to say that uh, there's not exactly an abundance of confidence in Kyle Allen right now might be an understatement. But he's shown flashes because he always has. And it's not crazy to think that Kyle Allen could get hot on the road on Arizona if he starts and goes out there and wins that game. He could also throw five interceptions. I honestly have no idea, but it's had a lot of people here continuing to question why this organization didn't sign Josh McCown because he lives here in Charlotte, comes back every Friday to coach Myers Park High School football. And, you know, he's, he's a hell of a backup for the Eagles right now. Why no Tyrod Taylor or some other veteran backup quarterback knowing that Cam Newton's dealt with injury issues and that uh, they believe they had a team around him that could win no matter what. And right now they're going to plug in Kyle Allen to try to save the season potentially. Will be an interesting matchup this weekend against the number one draft pick, Kyler Murray, a guy uh, Kyle Allen knows well. All right, good to see you, my friend. Kyle Bailey joining us from WFNZ. We require a babushka next time you join us. I don't know where the hell you're going to find it, but you're going to rock it. Are we in? We're in. I've actually pitched the, the corner office folks here on a line of WFNZ silk scarf babushkas. So I'll let you know what we come up with. Oh, hell yeah. That is a great move by, by Kyle Bailey. I'm going to look for one, too. Next time you come on, I'm going to try to find myself a babushka. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. But when we come back, we will talk to New York Daily News Giants beat writer Pat Leonard about the decision resonating across the NFL to sit Eli Manning after two weeks and start the Danny Dimes era in New York. We're back after a real quick break right here on Home and Home. Royal Blue, that is the cover of the New York Daily News. Eli Manning, of course, the decision to sit him down and bring on the Danny Dimes era resonating not just in New York, 
expert across the country as the debate rages, is Eli a Hall of Famer? Why did the New York Giants bench Eli now? And who made that decision? I showed you the Daily News. Let's talk to the Daily News Giants beat writer, Pat Leonard. Follow him on Twitter at PLeonardNYDN. Pat, good to see you, my friend. I got to start right there. Who, in your estimation, made this decision and why now? Dave, this was driven by head coach Pat Shermer. And basically, Dave Gettleman and John Mara laid it out in the preseason. They said it would be Shermer's call. And by doing that, they allowed a coach who prefers a mobile quarterback, a coach who had already lived through a 5-11 and season that started 1-7 and primarily because of the offense, regardless of what the narrative became. The Giants' defense last season in Pat Shermer's first year as head coach played pretty well early, and Eli Manning and the offense didn't get it done. So Shermer really, this is, this is too late. He did this too late. The Giants did it too late. But he was the adult in the room who stood up on Monday in front of all of us, even before they made the final decision, and would not commit to Eli as the starter. Credit John Mara, of course, for finally signing off a second time, by the way, on benching Eli Manning. But frankly, it's time, and it's not just because of how Eli's played. It's also because of how Dave Gettleman has constructed this team and that he cannot win at this moment as constructed with Eli at quarterback. Pat, that's my biggest issue with this whole thing is that it certainly comes across as the Giants not really having a coherent plan, right? I mean, if there was any scenario whereby they'd be benching Eli after two games, then he shouldn't be on the roster at all. Or if you were going to go ahead and let Eli be the starting quarterback, then you have to give him more than two games. This should not be one of the plausible scenarios. Do you agree? I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Ross. In fact, it's amazing that the Giants could misevaluate their roster so much and so badly that they would think that they could win by removing and get better by removing Odell Beckham Jr., Olivier Vernon, Landon Collins. The problem here, Ross, as you said, is that Dave Gettleman, the GM, has not had a plan that has that since he got hired. If you look at back at their first season, even though Gettleman tried to spin it back and say, hey, we were rebuilding the whole time, when he got in here, instead of tearing it down, he tried to win in that first year. That's why they drafted Saquon Barkley at number two and not a young quarterback who would develop or even trading back and getting an offensive lineman. Um, you know, so they tried to win. That backfired. But then, as you're saying, instead of saying, you know what, it's time to tear it all down, they tried to win with Eli while also rebuilding. And so they've had one foot in either lane here. And so when you trade all of those great players or you let them walk out in free agency, you say to your fans, hey, this is a rebuild. But when you bring Eli Manning back, you say we're going for one last ride. But, of course, you're not putting him in a position to succeed when you assemble this defense that clearly is not good enough for the present and doesn't even look like it's going to be good in the future, frankly, with this personnel, and also removing top-wide receivers. Though, of course, it's all connected here, Ross, as you know. Odell is traded here from here for a lot of reasons, but mainly because he came out and said Eli couldn't play anymore. And that's why Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese got fired as well. So it's, uh, I actually credit Pat Sherman. A little bit of a freeze up. Uh, technically, are, are you still with us, Pat? 
All right, Ross, let me uh, just elaborate on that wide receiver point he made there. And that's in particular why I don't like the timing of this decision. You have Golden Tate, who is a solid wide receiver in this league, still suspended through four weeks. You have Cody Latimer. You have Sterling Shepard. They are in the concussion protocol. Is Daniel Jones, beyond Evan Ingram and arguably the best back in the NFL, is he poised to start his NFL career taking a pounding with no legitimate NFL uh, caliber wide receivers. Well, I, I think that that is an issue. There's no question. But how many guys do start their career in a really good situation as a quarterback? Mm-hmm. This is just the reality of it. You usually don't. There's usually issues. You know, who gets thrust into a perfect situation? Almost nobody. They still have a good tight end. They still have a good running back. The offensive line's been okay. And so I think that's the situation they're putting Jones in. All right, yeah, let's bring Ross. back in Pat Leonard. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead and elaborate on that, Pat. Yeah, no, I was I was going to actually say, I think this is such an advantageous situation to put Jones into in the context of what a rookie quarterback could be playing with. You know, you look back to 2004 when Eli Manning replaced Kurt Warner in week 11, and part of the reason Ernie Accorsi has said they waited that long was because they didn't really love their offensive line that year. They were afraid that he was going to get beaten down and broken behind that line. It wasn't ready to compete yet. But this year, now I'm not saying this Giants line is a bunch of world beaters, but there are veterans on this line. They've played better in these first two games than the Giants offensive line has played in several years. So that, number one, is part of the reason why Eli is no longer the starter, because even though the line has played better and they're running the ball 7.8 yards per carry when Saquon rushes, they're still only averaging 15.5 points per game. On the flip side, it could be advantageous for Jones going into a situation where the line is a little bit better, and when there is pressure, he's more mobile, and hopefully, and Pat Shermer believes, not only can extend plays, but should be able to expand this coach's playbook. You know, I wanted to ask you also, Pat, just about sort of the reaction of the people there in New York. I know you're not necessarily on the radio, but through social media and otherwise you get a chance to hear from them. Uh, You know, it's weird. It seems like most of the giant fans I know that are on social media really have big time mixed emotions right now. Has it been more negative about the end of the Eli era or more positive about, hey, this is the right move for this team at this time? Yeah, Russ, you're right. It's a bundle of emotions here in New York. I, I would say I definitely I definitely can tell you that as opposed to two years ago when there was just shock and outrage that anyone would consider sending Eli Manning packing, that now I would say the majority of Giants fans were ready to see Daniel Jones. But that doesn't mean they wanted to see Eli Manning Uh, be scapegoated or be the first person blamed for an 0-2 start either. Um, There's a lot of frustration with the organization from the top down. Uh, Your first question to me is the most common one. Why even bring Eli Manning back at all? Uh, My answer to that is partially Eli had his chance not to come back. So he knew he was fully aware. They had the conversation behind the scenes that this could happen. Um, But in New York, a lot of outrage and I think, frankly, deserved uh, blame on the general manager, and I think a lot of people, or I can tell you I know a lot of people want to hear from John Mara and ownership today. I would expect 
that John would talk to us and explain to us how this decision was made and how difficult it was for him. I know it was, but this is one thing I want to get across to everybody. The Giants aren't the Miami Dolphins. I know they've been playing like it at certain points, but they're not <laughs> tanking. John Mara doesn't tank. They are just doing a very poor job of trying to win. So making this change is not just looking at the future. Pat Shermer, and this goes back to him driving the decision, Pat Shermer is making this decision because he thinks that Daniel Jones may give him a better chance to win the game on Sunday. And Ross and Dave, as you can imagine, uh, Giants fans don't love hearing that, but that is the truth. And now that there's a question of Eli Manning, and we won't get into the Hall of Fame stuff just yet. Uh, look, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Whether you do or not, you have to acknowledge he has been a class act as a human being and as a teammate over these 15-plus years. How do you think he will take this? Um, and will he have any interest in finishing his career in another uniform? It's not clear if any teams will be takers. Perhaps the Chicago Bears, who might be one player away. Would he have any interest, and how do you expect him to take the news? Well, on Monday when Pat Shermer left it open that he might not be the starter, I felt like that was a, an obvious precursor to this coming down either Tuesday or Wednesday. And we talked to Eli Manning minutes after Shermer told us that, and he was aware that Shermer had said it. And he was very calm, uh, very, you know, he said, nothing changes. I'm just going to prepare and whatever my role is on Sunday, I'm going to serve it. I'm going to do it. Uh, so it really came across, like, as I told you, these conversations had happened already in the off season about what might happen. So he was definitely more prepared than feeling like he was blindsided in 2017 uh, with Ben McAdoo. As far as wanting to play elsewhere, early reports are that he has no interest. I think that could change possibly if it becomes clear to him that this really is the end. What I mean by that is, you know, look around the league. Unfortunately, we see quarterbacks and players dropping like flies. I mean, he's one Daniel Jones ankle turn away from playing again for the Giants. Uh, so I'm not saying that's going to happen or we want that to happen. But uh, right now he's the number two and uh, the Giants brought him back. They're paying him $16 million this year, hopefully not only to play two games, even though that's what it's look, it looks like. But you also have him behind Daniel Jones, hopefully serving the mentor role that the Giants and Eli both said he really uh, didn't have much interest in or wasn't uh, – wasn't, uh, you know, uh, obligated to serve. Uh, but I think if, it, if he does change his mind, if it becomes clear that he does want to make one last ride and teams show interest and a late round pick comes the Giants way, I certainly think teams like, I don't know, Indianapolis, Chicago, uh, Jacksonville, Tennessee, you could see it maybe some of, the, I don't know, Pittsburgh. Uh, but frankly, uh, salary cap wise, it would be tough too. I know I saw over the cap and Jason Fitzgerald uh, breaking down that that would be difficult. So I think it's more likely he finishes his career as a giant here. Um, and perhaps if an injury comes Jones's way, maybe this isn't the last time he takes a snap as a Giants QB. You know, we were talking earlier, Pat, and, and Dave and I were debating the merits of Eli Manning for the Hall of Fame. And one of the things I just said was, you know, I, I always look at for the Hall of Fame, was the guy a great dominant player is is criteria number one. Criteria number two, was he that long enough? Are there, are there years or times in his career, Pat, where you would say that Eli was a great player and a top five quarterback in the NFL? If so, when? No, Ross, I, I, don't, I don't think so personally. I agree with you. I think that um, a Hall of Fame player is somebody that when your team faces them, you have to game plan around them. 
Um, and, the, and, you know, fans are quivering because you know that this guy is going to beat your teams more often than not. Um, and outside of the two playoff runs, which, of course, are amazing and legendary, and uh, he's one of the clutchest performers of all time, but I don't think clutch and uh, great elite Hall of Fame are the same thing. I actually think it's very fitting that his record, if, he, if this is his last start, that he finishes at 500. Because uh, prior to this, uh, you know, and this conversation and his benching, I've always felt that Eli, I thought his best quality was his resilience in that when he would make his characteristic bad mistakes and turnovers, that he was fully capable and confident that he could throw a, an 80-yard touchdown on the next play. And I think that's part of why he was so clutch in the postseason. And of course, his longevity is significant and his representation of the Giants um, and, you know, playing these 16 years, that all factors into an impressive career in many ways. But I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got in based on his accomplishments and the fact that the Manning family is such royalty. Uh, but I do not think he is a Hall of Fame player, no. And then I guess the last question uh, would just be, in fairness to the Giants, now I personally believe that they have no real coherent long-term plan if you're benching Eli after two games. Is it fair, though, Pat, to say that perhaps Daniel Jones, playing as well as he did in the preseason, kind of changed things? In other words, they brought Eli back because they didn't know when Daniel Jones would be ready. And so, okay, we're, Eli's back. He's the starter. And maybe, you know, he plays six games, eight games, ten. But then Jones was so good in the preseason that maybe that's why they are making this move now as opposed to a few weeks down the line? Yeah, Ross, that, that's part of it. Um, you know, I think it was very significant, too, if everyone should have noticed. In week one, when he put Jones in for that last series and that blowout in Dallas, I know it was a blowout, but the owner, John Mara, had said in August that he would prefer Jones never see the field this year. And obviously that would mean Eli was playing well and the team was winning. Uh, but it was no, should have been noteworthy to everyone how confident Shermer was that Jones was ready and that he was putting him out there to show you, listen, he can do it in the regular season too. Now he turned the ball over, but he completed three or four passes, didn't look, over, look overwhelmed. And your point is a good one. Daniel Jones impressed the Giants even more in August than they were by him in the spring to draft him number six overall, which was a high bar to clear considering how highly they thought of him to draft him there. I mean, they basically would have took him, taken him first overall. Um, so, you know, now that he showed you what he could do, that combined with how bleak the scenario has been with the, with the makeup of the team. And also, this is something I can't drive home enough, Shermer and the offense he wants to run. And I remember asking him in the, in the offseason, I was talking to him and I said, because he was hedging on what, when he would put Jones in or what they would do at quarterback. And I said, well, I was trying to pin him down on how long Eli had. And Pat just looked me in the eyes and he said, if Eli wins games, he has nothing to worry about. And so that, that was as clear as day. And then once you said, as you said, when he played well enough and when you heard Shermer in Cincinnati after that third preseason game, basically banging the podium and saying, I hope all the critics who thought we shouldn't have taken him, let's go see what they, what they think now. I think that should have shown everybody that he was ready to put this kid in yesterday. 
Well, Daniel Jones is going to have to earn it this week because he takes on Todd Bowles' defense, who bottled up the Carolina Panthers' Christian McCaffrey last week. They'll certainly do the same thing with Saquon Barkley and make Daniel Jones try to beat them. I follow Pat Leonard on Twitter. That's why I know he's at PLeonardNYDN. That's why I know you posted a Save by the Bell gif on your Twitter account teasing this appearance. <laughs> How excited are you for the reboot of Saved by the Bell on the NBC streaming package? Who's your favorite character? Oh, oh, um, that's a that's a good question. I would say uh, I would say Slater. You know, he just he just keeps it cool. Um, you know, and uh, doesn't doesn't drive the narrative, but is a is a critical piece. You know, a complimentary player. Wow, complimentary player likes the team aspect of the beefcake slate. <laughs> I like it. Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News, the Giants beat reporter. Uh, good to have you on, my friend. Thank you. Best of luck this weekend covering Danny Dimes. Thank you, David Ross. Take care. Much like you, Ross, he is an A.C. Slater kind of guy. I got a food question, though, for you, my friend, before we move on to our third hour. A big debut coming for KFC. Ross Tucker, they will debut a new chicken sandwich in the chicken sandwich wars that are taking over this country. This one, though, doesn't have buns, so you don't have the BYO problem that they have over there at Popeye's. It has donuts, two glazed donuts. There it is in all its glory for all of you watching on Radio.com app. It is two glazed donuts with a chicken sandwich. Is it glorious, Ross, or is it gross? Um, I would lean more towards gross. I would lean more oh. towards gross. Yeah, I don't I kind of like a separation of church and state when it comes to my 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 entree and my dessert. You know what I mean? Like I don't want with a chicken sandwich, I don't want like sugary with the chicken. I want like a chicken sandwich and that's like my meat. That's my that's the, that's my primary sustenance, and then over here, I want the milkshake. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to be able to separate the two. I don't want to be biting into a double donut and then a crispy chicken sandwich. Now that being said, maybe it's delicious. It probably is, but I don't know. I just it doesn't it does that doesn't appeal to me when I see that or hear about that. Wow. See, I frankly go the complete opposite direction there. I love the combination of salty and sweet. It's why my Bloody Mary's obviously salty, salt, tomato juice, salt and pepper, but lemon and lime. And I let that marinate. I love a maple bacon donut with the maple frosting with actually bacon strips across the top. Love no. the combination. Uh, no. Oh, no. And I would crush this KFC sandwich. I hope it's coming to a store near me so I can murder that right here on Home and Home. I, I can see that. Uh, but no, I don't like the bacon on the donuts. Things like that gross me oh. out. No, thank you. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we've been promising it for a few hours. But Minshew Mania taking over. We'll talk to Gardner Minshew, the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback's high school coach is that when the craziness started we'll also go to pittsburgh with andrew filipponi for an update on mason rudolph and brian costello from the new york jets beat uh new york post jets beat reporter it's a busy 10 o'clock hour right here on a hump day home and home we're back after three minute break 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 